Cool. So, hey guys, today I'm going to focus on process powered growth. And the kind of thinking behind today's talk was that often as a growth guy, people come up to you and go, ah, oh, Malenga, tell me a sick growth hack or how can I grow the business? But not much is actually spoken about actually how, like some of the thinking that can lead you to, to, you know, the routes to growth for your business. And so, um, yeah, delighted to actually give a talk on that for once. So largely speaking, there are five channels for scalable user growth. And you should probably already know these if you're in marketing, but let's just go through them and, and talk a little bit about why they're scalable channels. So you've got sales and scales, uh, sales is scalable because uh, naturally you, you pay a, your salesperson a certain amount and they bring you more back in revenue. So it's a nice scalable mechanic and it can keep growing and you can grow your sales team, you grow your revenues, etc. Paid is, is obviously very scalable as a channel. You put $1 in, you get three out, you reinvest your money and you grow again. So it's a nice scalable channel. Referrals, obviously one user brings you another user. Highly scalable. Partnerships are great because a single partnership with a big corporate or someone um, closely related to you uh, can be a great way to get many, many more times return um, from, from forming the partnership to actual users. And SEO. SEO, obviously, you produce a piece of content and it lives for a very long time and delivers many, many leads back way beyond your original investment in the, in the piece of content. But actually, there's a bit of a kind of false truth about this statement. Actually, user growth is a little bit different. This is five channels for user acquisition. So definitely, these will help you scale your user acquisition and bring in new users. But actually, growth is a little bit different to that because growth is achieved by systems and actually not single channels. So just to bring that kind of example to life, I just thought we'd step through kind of a basic system design. And this is how I think about growth. When I, when I sit down to, to look at growing a new business, I always, always, always start drawing out a system and a circuit. I don't think about obvious channels. I don't even think about, you know, marketing strategy decks. I start drawing a system and, and, and trying to find out how that system fits together. And, and most systems start with potential users. So I think of that as a stock that can be built up or depleted. And there's obviously lots of different ways that you can find out how many potential user, users are in a market. And I'm sure you all have very developed ways of doing that. Just a, a few kind of points on how you might do that there. And how many people have kind of online SaaS businesses here? Okay, so, uh, and, and, and generally speaking, most of this stuff is transferable even outside of that, but it'll be particularly applicable to those kind of businesses. Okay, so we also want users. So we have potential users and users. Both of these are stocks that can be built up and depleted. And then in our system, we have other things that are derived from those stocks that we can work out once we have those stocks and we have things that affect them. So out of having potential users and already having users on our platform, we then obviously understand the total market size. The total market size is naturally the potential users for our system and the existing users that we already have combined. But obviously we want to turn potential users into users. So the, the valve that sucks users through from potential users to users is how we will control, you know, how fast that happens and how, uh, you know, how, how big we can actually make that user stock. So when we're thinking about how we're going to get those new users, we don't want growth hacks. 
actually. So we don't just want a flash in the pan PR stunt to do, you know, one spike of users and then, you know, that's it. Actually, what we really want is a growth engine. We want something that is scalable, predictable and repeatable. And that's that's really what investors are looking for as well. When you talk about how you're going to grow your business, they're very much expecting that you you have a plan that is, you know, long term and it's not just based on PR stunts because, you know, some of them really work very well. Some of them don't work so well. It's not very predictable as an outcome. And unfortunately, naturally in any system, you know, this is a bit, I don't like drawing, but it happens. Uh, users are going to leave and users are going to uninstall um, and users are going to turn into lost users, depleting our user stock, building up our lost user stock. Just unfortunate, but it happens. So you have to plan for it. You have to start thinking about how often that will happen and what things will affect that. One of the things that's really key when you get to this stage of your system design is actually realizing that before you go much further as a startup founder, it's really worth proving your value hypothesis before you prove your growth hypothesis. So when you get to this stage of the system and you've got some data coming through, you've got an early prototype product, for example, you're going to start to get some data around how long people stay and how much people are using your product. And if that rate of uninstallation is pretty high or people are really churning out, there's no point really moving on to the next stage of the system design and starting to try to prove growth because actually you're going to be wasting a ton of resources and it's going to be very inefficient as a process. So what you want to do before you move on to the next stage of your system design is really work out if you have something that people really, really deeply want and are staying around to use. So once we've, once we've got to this stage of our system design, we can actually start thinking about, hold on a minute, how close are we to traction? Because if, if our churn uh, percentage is pretty low and we feel like we've got something that people are wanting to use and are sticking around, that's a good indication that we can now derive because we've, we've drawn our system and we know the numbers flowing through the system. Another major benefit of designing things in this way is that all of this has a mathematical basis. All of this can go back to a model in Excel or any other modeling uh, software that you want to use to work out actually where you are. It's not just a pretty design. It's actually very, very functional. And obviously we can also start to derive percentage of market untapped uh, based on our total market size and the potential users because we know how many users we have. That feeds into our total market size as does potential users. Thusly, we can work out how many users are left to acquire in any in our target market. So this is another really key thing. It's, it sounds so obvious, but I, I just like saying it and banging, banging the drum. True product market fit equals exponential organic growth. That is when you know you've really got product market fit. But exponential organic growth is really only achieved by word of mouth. So everything I try to do as a marketeer in the early stages is get a company as close to the stage where this starts to kick off as possible. It's not possible to do it for every company, but you can certainly move companies closer to that. And, and every inch closer to that, the, the greater the results for your marketing. Okay. So how do we do that? So if we're talking about kind of a, a standard, stock standard SaaS business or a mobile product, for example, you really want to be thinking about invites from, from the, from, from day one or referrals or how you're going to trigger one user to bring another to the system. And there are various ways to do this. This is a simplest, simplified system design to kind of get the point across, but there are all sorts of mechanics that could be at play here to ensure that one user brings another user. But if this isn't growing month on month, then your acquisition cost eventually will, because it's, it's, it's difficult to cover your whole market without referrals. So once you've got users inviting other users to join your, your product in some way, 
you're going to build up a potential amount of users aware. And you can start to work out how, how much of your target market that's actually worth. And it's worth looking at the ratio between how, how many of your users are inviting and how many potential users are actually out there. That's fantastic. And it's a great, you know, it's a great marker that people are happy to share your product, but it doesn't pay bills, right? That's just invites going out. What we really want to know is how many of those invites are actually turning into new users. And the reason we want to know that is because there's a really fantastic metric to look at, which is called K-Factor. And this is how really, really, really fast growth businesses knock it out of the park. They focus on a K-Factor number and they try to raise the K-Factor as high as possible. And your K-Factor is derived from the number of invites sent out per user and the invite conversion rate. So you as a marketeer are trying to get as many of your users to emit an invite to another user, to mention you, to recommend you, to to uh, talk about their activity in the game, to share in some way your product. And you want to try and find every way that you can to measure that. And then you want to find a way to track those invites. And then you want to look at how many of them are converting. Now, back in the day, this was actually really quite difficult to do. But as things have progressed, it's so, so, so straightforward now with fantastic tools like branch metrics, for example, you can fingerprint devices. You can understand that one, I have sent an invite to somebody else. You can then know when that person converts and you can track all of that stuff fairly easily now. So the, the difficulty and the scale of actually achieving full visibility of this has come right, right down. And there's actually a lot of free tools now that you can use to achieve this. And why do you care about K-Factor? Because K-Factor makes a, a huge difference to how fast you grow. So if you think about each user in a system inviting four other users and there being a conversion rate of just 20%, you've got a 0.8 K-Factor. That's great. You know, that's quite a high conversion rate and you're growing quite fast. But if you have a 25.2% conversion rate with those four invites, you grow a lot faster. And every maneuver that you make over one you start getting into exponential growth. So any K factor where you're just above one, you start getting into exponential growth. And exponential growth is, you know, the absolute nirvana for any growth marketer. That's what we always want to see. That's what we want to trigger. Almost never actually achieve it. Um, but, but if you get to 0.8, you know, it's still good. But the, the golden golden rule is try to have a K factor of just more than one, not one, because one is a steady state. You want 1.01. So always be looking at how many invites each of your users are sending out and then look at the conversion rate of those invites that are sent out to work out how fast you're growing and then set targets in your team around lifting those particular metrics that contribute to that. So how can we make our invites more attractive? You know, how can we make the onboarding process after someone clicks a link easier so that more people convert? What can we do around um, personalization? What can we do around invite kind of customization to make sure that that people are seeing these invites as as very relevant so that's like you know a key thing that i'm thinking about when i'm designing early stage systems and all systems are different this is a system for a very simple referral mechanic right these things get super complex but the fantastic thing about them is that they're all trackable and traceable and measurable in excel and other platforms the other really super key thing about growth is to focus on positive feedback loops. So loops which almost self-propel themselves and start to get better and better and better with time. So being that I'm uh, previously from fintech background, um, we'll focus on what Monzo did in the early days is, and also what Revolut did and, and what Moniz did in, in various different guises to grow. 
we had the idea of sending out golden keys to um, unlock access to the product. And the whole um, idea was that you'd prompt your users to uh, send out a golden key when they log in. More golden keys would be shared. More referral installs would come off the back of those shared keys. More users, more logins, more golden keys, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the thing would spin round and round and round. Now, it's, it's relatively easy to look in your product for think, you know, events that reoccur that you could hack to attach a positive feedback loop to. So anything that happens as your product moves naturally, for example, if you're a bank, payments, that's a great thing to, to try to attach a positive feedback loop onto. Logins, scrolls, anything that um, working with a reading app at the moment, and they're actually attaching a feedback loop to scrolls when people scroll down. It's something that all users do. More users, more scrolls. So then if you can attach a viral mechanic on top of that, you're going to get a lovely scaling loop. But the problem with this is not many people think about how they're going to measure these feedback loops because there's a downside to, to this as well. And the downside is if you don't show the keys to the right users or the prompt to the right users, and if it's not relevant, then you could have the opposite effect. More users could churn, fewer logins, fewer referral installs, and then people disappear. So the most important thing about designing positive feedback loops into your products, apps, solutions is having the data to know that that is not harming you in the other direction. And it's a bit like if you've read that kind of uh, famous article, how Optimizely almost got me fired. It's about the difference between one-tailed tests and two-tailed tests is that sometimes you, sometimes your, your test, your outcome goes in the wrong direction and you need to be able to see that. Okay. So another key kind of thought processes uh, when I'm thinking through when I'm, when I'm designing a growth strategy is boosting network effects. And not every business has network effects, but actually if you look hard enough, you can find examples in, in many uh, kind of more unlikely businesses. So a tip here is to try and hack marketplace dynamics to boost network effects. So in most scenarios, you have buyers and sellers. And many marketeers in the old days would just be like, let's run a campaign to buyers. Okay, now let's run a campaign to sellers or do both at once. But really focusing largely on direct to, so direct to buyer marketing, you know, marketing campaign on Facebook or a bus campaign or direct to seller marketing. But that's like, that's the most basic level of marketing you can do, right? And there are different examples, as I said, of, of, of companies that have kind of these kind of setups, marketplace setups, and they all kind of work in the same way. You have two sides of it and you can go direct to each side. But when you get more sophisticated, you start thinking about the interactions that are naturally happening inside your product and you start designing vehicles. I, I think of it as greasing the wheels. Like, you know, I'll get my WD-40 out and I'll, and I'll understand that buyers are going to interact with sellers. So let's grease that. What can, what mechanics can we create to help buyers invite more sellers? Not just buyers to sell to sellers, but how can we get them to bring more sellers into the system? So for example, if you look at Manise as an example, every time a payer paid somebody, we made sure a notification went to the payee as well as a, as a prompt to say, oh, by the way, we can pay you free next time. So we're looking at points where there's a connection point and we're hanging on marketing mechanics onto those things. Because guess what? Most of the time, a lot of the time, they can be free, free to do. So not just direct, we're also thinking about buyers to sellers and sellers to buyers also. You know, there's, there's many ways that, so for if you have an online marketplace and you're a seller, you're naturally, let's take an example of Airbnb, you're going to want to promote more people to join the platform. You're going to be putting widgets on your website. You're going to be promoting 
just you know separately amongst your own network airbnb so that's a great way that sellers can bring buyers into the platform and again you know when I've, I've rarely seen people sit down and draw out these circles and work out all of the interaction points and put a physical strategy against each. Because actually, you know, if you really want to succeed in growth, you want to try to compartmentalize all these different growth streams and have them modeled out and have strategies and tactics against each edge of the, of the model. Going on seller to seller, um, naturally, for example, um, the example of Uber, Uber drivers, Uber used their drivers in the early days to recruit other drivers. It was so successful that some drivers actually quit. And going back to what we were saying before about, you know, over-egging it, maybe they over-egged it a bit. One guy completely and utterly turned his flat into Uberville um, and he, you know, he gave up his life as an Uber driver. But that's an example of how you can use sellers in your, in your model to bring other sellers in. And again, buyer to buyer, it's the same thing. It's standard referral mechanics, but there's lots of other things that you could design to make that more sophisticated. And I think spending some time racking your brains to to work out whether you could create a widget, whether you could create a leaflet, uh, some form of vehicle, even a, an app itself to make these interaction points easier will will really help you in terms of forming a strategy which is a bit more defensible than, um, than your competitors. Because again, most people just are thinking down at the bottom level of how to to do direct marketing to each side. And since we're we're looking at process, I thought I'd do a small bit on actually running a growth team. How many of you guys actually have standalone growth teams within the business at the moment? Okay, a small percentage, okay? So there's work to be done because they can be incredibly powerful. And it's definitely something I advise, especially if you have a, a tech product, a significant amount of your time should actually be invested in growth. It's always, always under-invested in until people realize just how powerful it is as a, as a solution. And to create a culture of growth, really you want to build a rhythm and not a regime. You don't want people just, you know, hiding it off into one corner going, we're the growth guys, we're the ninjas that you guys call in when you want to, you know, grow a little bit more. You actually want to involve everyone in the business into um, growth and create a culture. So it's more like a rhythm, have a regular cycle and get people behind it rather than keeping it to one set person. So usually the way I put most growth processes together is to start with just simple, open idea generation. And actually, if you go into the business and you just start with this, it's a great way to kick off your kind of dedicated growth element. Make it open to anybody and make data accessible to everybody. So literally go back into your businesses and ask everybody to contribute an idea on how the business could be growing faster. You'll get some real wild cards and it might be the person sitting in finance. It might be the intern, but somebody's going to throw something in it, which is going to be really interesting and potentially quite powerful. And then you just start generating ideas. You start putting those ideas together. So here's some examples of, of you know, let's say a, a fintech bank or some ideas that you could use to be growing faster that are not traditional ideas. So how about the ability to pay anyone without bank details? That's a huge barrier, right? When you go to pay somebody, you have to ask them for their bank details and then they have to send it to you and then you have to plug them into your bank. Then you have the authorization text and it's a long process. So Revolut were quite smart. You can just literally pay anyone in your contact book even without them providing you uh, their bank details. How? It literally sent them a link. It pre-authorized that link and then they could literally put their details in on the link and then the payment will fire off. It's a very simple way to think, simple solution, but incredibly powerful. And the best uh, growth guys are capable of coming up with these kind of ideas that are, are seemingly simple, but incredibly powerful, powerful and incredibly scalable.
Other examples, for example, video pitch to enable push. How many people play HQ trivia? Okay, quite a few. I mean, the app is doing incredibly well with growth. It's exploding, actually. And one of the things that they do, which is really lovely, is that you get a personal pitch from the CEO, a video pitch when you, when you open the app that says, look, man, notifications are really key to our app. Please turn them on. And you're like, oh, well, looks like I have to. And it's a bit different to most other apps, which just flag up a notification thing. And it's a bit annoying. You always cancel it and then you lose out. Because they went the extra mile and just tested a different approach to notifications, they've got ability to bring users back into the app. And as a result, you know, they're going to have users staying around. And what do you need for compound growth? Growth, you need users to stay around. So actually a notification hack or an, an idea can actually have profound effects on retention, which then can support growth. So anyone can generate ideas. The next thing you want is hopefully your dedicated growth team, if not your dedicated growth team, your marketing manager or anybody else to start researching um, uh, those ideas in more detail, looking at how they might be built, looking at some of the things that go into them, hypothesizing what they think will happen when it's included, scoring and prioritizing it. And scoring is usually done um, with ice scoring. So impact, confidence and ease. So it's a nice way to think about it, a score of one to five. And then you can literally work out kind of what's highest priority to your business or what's most likely to have a result. It's a good way to just triage things quite quickly. And then have a weekly meeting. So you're in that meeting, you're going to review previous test results. You're going to look at your scored list and you're going to be able to pluck off the things that you want to go for next. And then obviously you're going to implement and it's really helpful if that team is autonomous and accountable and they can touch any area of the business. So TransferWise is pretty good for this. The growth team can, can focus on any area of the business and they can go in and they can change anything they want and, and uh, providing they don't obviously tank the business. But, you know, it's, it's really good if you allow people to be autonomous and, and accountable for their actions. And in this bit, a really important point, and again, I mean, there are some VCs in the room that will know this. When it comes to being right, magnitude beats frequency. So a lot of your tests will fail. A lot of them will be rubbish. A lot of them will, will result in, you know, 0.1% growth or 1% growth, but you're going to come up with one and it's just going to give you 30%. Like, and, and this is the fantastic thing about iterating weekly is that you will discover one key idea, one key lever that results in a huge, huge, huge upswing in growth. And that's why you do this at the end of the day. Obviously, once you're implementing, it's key to measure. It's key to measure in the right way. Like we said before, being aware of the impact of, of proper statistical testing. As we said before, results can sometimes go in both directions or can affect something downstream that you can't quite see. So a proper measurement stack is key and to look for statistical significance before rolling the result of your growth test into the actual product. And then the, the fun bit is cataloging everything that you've done, making it searchable and findable later for anybody in the business. That that also is really key because if that's not done, you'll find people generating ideas that already exist. So you don't want any wastage. Um, so it's really important that you catalog, you score things and you record the results of your tests. And then you're moving forward all the time doing new tests that haven't been done before. So final thought, going back to it, is growth is achieved by systems and not channels. And if you take one thing away from this talk, I really hope it's that. Don't just lock onto Facebook advertising as a channel. You know, you're going to get good CPIs in the, or, or CPAs in the early days, but you need a system if you want to grow long-term. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.